was asking the Lord what word to share this evening, um, this came to heart um, and to my mind. You know, I think I probably told you this a while ago. The Lord spoke to me a um, number of years ago and just gave me a very simple mandate of what my calling is. This is my calling. And that was, what he said to me was, make Jesus known and preach the gospel. That's very simple, isn't it? There's nothing complicated or deeply theological about that. Make Jesus known and preach the gospel. I remember being in an a online Zoom meeting and I was in one of the breakout rooms and somebody talked about making Jesus' name great. And I kind of gave my amen, but it, it kind of gritted on me, you know. It was like, and I was kind of gritted about it. And after the meeting, this was after come offline and everything else, I was like, Lord, what is that? And he said, no man can make my name great. Just make my name known and I'll make my name great. Isn't that awesome? All we need to do is make his name known and he's going to make his name great. Pressure off, amen. That's awesome. To make his name known. What a privilege that we have. To make known the name of the Lord. Preach the gospel. Now, Tonight's a bit different, okay? I'm going to do a Bible study with you tonight, rather than my usual sort of preachy thing. It's going to be a Bible study, and I'm, I'm going to have read lots of scriptures, but I might have to paraphrase them or take, you know, just sentences out, just for the sake of all the points I want to bring to you, and I don't want to be here till the end of the week, you know what I'm saying? So, um, but as I start off, I want us to turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of John. This is my starting text, but it's not what I'm preaching on. You'll understand in a moment. John chapter 2, and we're reading from verse 1, and in my NIV it's subheaded, Jesus changes water to wine. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. That's good advice, isn't it? Do whatever Jesus tells you. And nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them all to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the wine that had been the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew where it came from. Then he called the bridegroom aside, and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. This was the first of the miraculous signs that Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. I love this story. I've preached on this story and I love this story since I got saved. And I don't know if any of you watched the, the series, The Chosen. The Cho have you watched that? They do such a fantastic version of, of how this all happens. Um, it's their kind of idea of, and it's just amazing. And I remember as a young Christian reading that, and 
kind of reading it and reading it and read, read it over it so many times. And then suddenly it dawned on me, whoa, hang on a second here. What that man, the master of the banquet actually said, actually did take place. Because they had, as normally, started off the wedding with a very choice and expensive wine. And then when everybody had their you know, fill of that, they brought out the cheaper wine as well because nobody would notice because they'd all had a, a few glasses of wine. And then they ran out. But then Jesus was approached by his mother, as we know. We all have to listen to our mums. And uh, he turns the water into wine. The master of the banquet says, this is the best wine I've ever tasted. The title of my message tonight is this, Jesus, better than the best. Jesus is better than the best. Whatever it is, he is better than it. He is greater than it. He is more supreme. He is higher. He is deeper. He is wider. He is better than the very best. And what we're going to do tonight, we're going to take a journey through the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is marked time and time again. If you study that book, you will see time and time again the expression better than, greater than, more than, better than. And we're going to have a quick whistle-stop tour through all of these better thans because it's all to do with Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate manifestation of all the promises of God, of all the goodness of God, of all the glory of God. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He is the expression, the exact representation, the scripture says, of his being, upholding everything by the word of his power. He is the supreme of everything. So when we look through the book of Hebrews, let's read a few verses together. Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke beforehand through the prophets and many times, many ways. But in the last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he became a superior to the angels as the name inherited is superior to theirs. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is greater than the greatest. Greater than the greatest. In the book of Colossians, we read about Jesus. It says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he, Jesus, might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Hallelujah. 
He is the supreme. He is superior to the angels. Superior to the angels. Think about that for a moment. Here are some facts about the angel. At the Passover, at the deliverance of the people of Israel out of Egypt, the, the angel of death came and slew every firstborn throughout the whole of the land. One angel. One angel. Throughout the land and slew the firstborn. And Hezekiah's deliverance in 2 Kings 19. Hezekiah didn't have to lift a finger. And in one moment, 185,000 trained soldiers of the Midianites and Eastern peoples were wiped out by one angel. One single angel. Not a mass, not a company. One angel. In the time when um, David, remember, he counted the men, and because of that, judgment came. It says that one angel came, and 80,000 people were struck down. 80,000. One angel. One angel. The birth of Israel, where your pastor is right now with other members of this church, Israel was born out of this wrestling match between one man and one angel. But the scripture says, Jesus is superior to all the angels. That the angels bow down and worship him, saying, Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. All these angels, and I just mentioned a few, and one slaughtered this, one did that, one did that. And Jesus is superior to them all, greater than them all. That's our God. That's our Lord, that's the Savior we're worshiping. That's the one. So think about it. Is he on your side? If God be with us, who could be against us? If one angel can do just that, and we don't have just the angels, but we have the Son of God. Amen. Isn't that amazing? His name is superior to the name of any of the angels. I remember hearing a story. Forgive me if I repeat my stories. I just forget where I tell stories and what ones I tell where. I have a friend who was a missionary in Bulgaria, and he told me this story about some missionary people that he knew and he met. And they were traveling, and one day their car broke down, and it broke down under this bridge at this motorway. And they were, it was actually a flat. I think they had a flat tire, and they had to go about sorting out the tire. But as they did, they took their three or four-year-old son and said, right, you stay there and don't get don't out the car, just wait there, and they fixed the tire, and then we went to find the son, and the son had disappeared, they didn't know where he was, couldn't find him, he wasn't in the car, they searched everywhere, they're thinking, where's our boy, where's our boy, and it was on a motorway, and they're thinking, oh my goodness, he could have been run over, he could be, and they're panicking, and as they're looking, they heard this whimpering, it was under one of the overpass bridges, and they went there, here's their son sitting, three or four year old, and he's sitting there whimpering underneath the bridge, and as they went over to him, quite angry and upset with him, but relieved that he was okay, they went over and he noticed that his shoelaces were tied together. And he looked and said, son, what did you do? He said, oh, I needed to go to the toilet and I got lost and, and I, I suddenly didn't know where I was going. And he said this, he said, how come, you're, what happened to your shoelaces? He said, oh, the big man came and tied my shoelaces together and told me to wait here under the bridge until mom and dad came and picked me up. <laughs> you know, the Bible says that some of us have entertained angels without being aware of it. I believe I could tell you stories where I think I entertain angels, but I haven't got the time to go into that. Jesus is greater than the angels. <laughs> He's greater than the angels. <laughs> we're, just getting, we're just getting started here tonight. And I will, I'll try and do it as quickly as I can, but 
He's greater than the angels. Hebrews 3, verses 1 to 6. Listen to this. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Don't fix it on your problems. Don't fix it on your, your enemies. Don't fix it on the economy. Don't fix it on the government. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle, high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed us. Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house, but Jesus has been found more worthy of greater honor than Moses. Just as the builder of the house itself, for every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying what he said in the future, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house. If we hold on to our courage and the hope for which we boast. Jesus is greater than the angels, but he's also greater than Moses. There's no man held in higher esteem in the whole of history, especially by the Jewish people, than the man we know of Moses. But the Bible says Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Moses. Why? Because Moses was a servant, but Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus was more than just the son of God. Jesus was a servant too. And we can read about his servant heart. We read about his servant heart in Philippians. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Verse, uh, Philippians 2 verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God. Did not consider equality with God. Something to be grasped. He made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. Found an appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every single knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every single tongue confess him as Lord to the glory of God the Father. His name is greater than the name of Moses. The name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. There is no other realm other than those three realms. And everyone bow at the name of Jesus. His name, the eternal Son of God, humbled himself and came down to earth and gave himself for us, for you and for me. Why should we be worrying? Why should we be anxious? Be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We used to sing a song. You laid aside your majesty, gave up everything for me, suffered at the hands of those you had created. You took all my guilt and shame when you died and rose again. Now today you reign in heaven and earth exalted. Sorry, I've got a bad voice. God loves my voice. He laid aside his majesty and gave up everything for us. And listen, Mo Moses delivered millions of Israelites from the bondage to Pharaoh and Egypt. But Jesus has set billions free from sin, Satan, death, and judgment. Glory to God in the highest. And listen, I've got a word of warning because I used to work with a lot of Messianic Jews. I am 
absolutely sold out for, for, for Israel and believe that good, the Jewish people are going to get saved and all of that. I am a, a supporter of Israel. But I want to warn anybody here who goes down the Judaic route. I had a friend and he was uh, Polish and he got thoroughly saved. He was from Jewish background. He got thoroughly saved on fire for God. And then he started going back into his Judaic roots. And it wasn't long before he had these out. And he was trying to obey these. And you and I cannot obey these without the power of the Holy Ghost. We're going to learn about that in a moment. Jesus is greater than Moses. His name is greater than Moses. Moses was a servant. Jesus was a son, is a son, and a servant. I'll come back to those in just a second. He's greater than Moses. And thirdly, we go into Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. And if we read from verse 20. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Well, he's not just better than the angels and greater than the angels. He's not just greater than Moses, but he is the guarantee of a better covenant than any of them. He's a guarantee of that better covenant. And I'm not going to go into the, I'll just stop there for the sake of time. Do you know, priests in the Old Testament would sacrifice for themselves, for their families, for the people, for the nation, year after year after year after year. But Jesus has a permanent priesthood. In fact, I will read on. It says, because of this oath, Jesus was a guarantee of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. I'll read that again. Because Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for us. Isn't that an amazing promise? Do you know I have a lot of prayer partners? You guys I consider part of our prayer partners and I know that you pray for us because I speak to Arthur on a regular basis and he tells us something. He's always praying for you this morning and we pray for you guys. But you know what? And that's important, important that we do. But even if everyone else forgets you or doesn't know what's going on, there's one who's seated at the right hand of God the Father who ever lives to intercede for us and he's praying for us. He's praying for us. Even when we think we've been abandoned, the Son of God is up there interceding for us, ever lives to intercede for us. It's just absolutely mind-blowing. A permanent priesthood that can never die. He has a permanent priesthood. He ever lives to pray and intercede for us. I'm going to read you a story. This, this story you've, you've heard, you, you've heard this. I know you've heard this before because it's very famous. But I'm going to read it to you. Uh, I might paraphrase it again. It's all right. It's, it's lit up, Linda, so I'm, I'm quite good. 
Years ago, there was a wealthy man who had a devoted young son. He shared a passion for art collecting. And together, they traveled the world, adding to their fine treasures their collection. Priceless works by Picasso, Van Gogh, Monet, and others adorned the walls in the family estate. The widowed elder man looked on the satisfaction of his only child, became an experienced art collector. The son's trained eye and sharp business mind caused his father to beam with pride as he dealt with art collectors around the world. As winter approached, war engulfed the nation and the young man left to serve his country. After a few short weeks, his father received a telegram. His beloved son was missing in action. The art collector anxiously waited more news, fearing that he would never see his son again. Within days, his fears were confirmed. The young man had died while rushing a fellow soldier to the medic. Distraught and lonely, the old man faced the upcoming Christmas holidays with anguish and sadness. The joy of the season, a season that he had with his son, looked so forward to in the past would visit his house no longer. On Christmas morning, a knock on the door awakened the depressed old man. As he walked to the door, the masterpieces of art in the walls only reminded him of his son not coming home. As he opened the door, he was greeted by a soldier with a large package in his hand. He introduced himself as the man, uh, to the man by saying, I was a friend of your son. I was the one he was rescuing when he died. May I come in for a few moments? I have something to show you. As the two began to talk, the soldier told of how the man's son had told, had told everyone of his, not to mention his father's love of fine art. I am an artist, said the soldier, and I want to give you this. As the old man unwrapped the package, the paper gave way to reveal a portrait of his son. Though the world would never consider it as a work of art or a genius, the painting featured the son's, the young man's face in striking detail. Overcome with emotion, the man thanked the soldier, promised to hang it over the fireplace. A few hours later, after the soldier departed, the old man set about his task, and true to his word, the painting went above the fireplace, pushing aside thousands of dollars of paintings. And then the man sat in his chair, spent Christmas gazing at the gift he'd been given. During the days and weeks that followed, he realized that even though his son was no longer with him, the boy's life would live on because of those he touched. He would learn that his son had rescued dozens of wounded soldiers before that bullet stilled his caring heart. As the stories of his son's gallantry continued to reach him, fatherly pride, satisfaction began to ease the grief. The painting of the son soon became his most prized possession, far eclipsing any interest in the pieces for which the museums around the world clamored. He told his neighbors it was the greatest gift he'd ever received. The following spring, the old man became ill and he passed away. And the art world was in absolute anticipation. Unmindful of the story of the man's only son, but in his honor, those paintings would be sold at an auction. According to the will of the old man, all the artworks would be auctioned on Christmas Day, the day he'd received the greatest gift. The day soon arrived and the art collectors from around the world gathered to bid on some of the world's most spectacular paintings. Dream would be fulfilled that day. Greatness would be achieved as many claimed out of the greatest collection. The auction began with a painting that was not on any of the museum's list. It was the painting of the man's son. The auctioneer asked for an opening bid. The room was silent. Who opened the bid for $100, he asked. Minutes passed, no one spoke, but from back of the room, there came a voice. Who cares about that painting? It's just a picture of his son. Let's forget it and go on to the good stuff. More voices echoed in agreement. No, we have to sell this one first, replied the auctioneer. Who will take the son? Finally, a friend of the old man spoke. Will you take $10 for the painting? It's all I have. I knew the boy and I like to have it. I will have $10. Would anyone go higher? Called the auctioneer. 
After more silence, the auctioneer said, going, going, once, going twice, gone. The gavel fell. Cheers filled the room. Everyone exclaimed, now we can get on and bid for the treasures. The auctioneer looked at the audience and announced the auction was over. Stunned, disbelief quieted the room. Someone spoke up and said, what do you mean it's over? We didn't come here for a picture of some old guy's son. What about all those paintings? There are millions of dollars of art here. I demand you explain what's going on. The auctioneer replied, it's very simple. According to the will of the father, whoever takes and loves the son gets everything else for nothing. The Bible says, he who has a son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Does not have life. He's a guarantee of a greater covenant. In Hebrews 8, 6, we find that Jesus also has a greater ministry. I read that Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. It says this. The ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs as the covenant for which he's a mediator is superior to the old one and it's found on better promises. He is a greater ministry. A ministry of salvation, a ministry of healing, a ministry of deliverance. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Healing by his stripes we're healed. Deliverance, he who calls on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Wholeness. May the Lord sanctify you fully, spirit, soul, and body. Fullness, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give you life and life in all its fullness. Prosperity, he, he became poor that we may become rich. Intercession, always living to intercede on our behalf. He has a greater ministry, a ministry of healing, of deliverance, of salvation. I have friends up in the... Highlands in Sutherland, there's a young couple there, and uh, the lady was um, pronounced that she had a, a, a problem with her womb, and she would never, ever have children. It was impossible for her to have children. So her and her young husband had been trying to adopt, but because of circumstances out with their control, they couldn't adopt. It was getting very difficult. And then one day, this lady was at a ladies' meeting, and there was a, a woman there, they're very good friends of mine, Ross and Margaret um, McLeod. They are free church people in the free church there and in the Fisherman's Hall. I preach in both places on a regular basis and are close friends. And Margaret would never claim to be a prophet or a prophetess. There's a lot of people going around saying, pray, claiming to be prophets and all of that nowadays. She would never claim that at all. But she was at this ladies' meeting. She went over to this young woman who couldn't have a child and she said, you're going to have, within a year, you're going to have a baby. So she looked and she was like excited, delighted. She went home. She told her husband, said, oh, Margaret said we're going to have a baby within a year. He said, oh, great. The red tape's going to fall. We're going to manage to adopt. Everything's going to be made clear and it's going to work out fine. About two or three months ago, I forgot a photograph. It's, I think it's in my phone of a little child, a little baby girl called Ileana, which means God provides or God gives. She gave birth to that baby. He told me the last time I was up there, he was saying, Martin, he said, he wouldn't believe it. He said, I don't know if this was on the day of the birth or a couple of days later. He said, I was in the corridor. He said, there were three consultants. They didn't know I was there and I overheard them talking and they were saying, what are we supposed to do about this? How can we write this up? This is impossible. What are we supposed to say about this? All things are possible for God. Amen. Our Jesus, nothing is impossible for him. And the Bible says nothing is impossible for those who believe. 
Amen. He has a greater ministry than Moses, the law, or the prophets. And quickly rush on in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 to 13. It goes on to read this. The ministry he's received is superior to theirs as the covenant of which he's a mediator is superior to the old one. It's founded on better promises. Better promises. For there's nothing wrong, if there was nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, a time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will not, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned from them, declares the Lord. This covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. They will, I will be their God. They will be my people. And no longer will a man teach his neighbor or his, uh, a man, his, neighbor, his brother saying, know the Lord for they will all know me from the least to the greatest for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. What is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. He is the mediator of better promises. In the past, it was law, 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 law. Do this, do that, do this, don't do that, don't do that, do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, do this. It was all law. It was written on tablets of stone, and it was impossible for any man with sinful nature to be able to obey those commandments. Try as though they could, and as hard as they possibly could, they could not obey those commandments. We read in the book of Romans, these verses in Romans, it says this in Romans 1, therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death, for what the law was powerless to do and it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And he condemns sin and sinful man in order the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit of God. This covenant, these promises are no longer on tablets of stone. Impossible for us to obey. He comes by the power of the blood of Christ and through the cross of Jesus and he inscribes them and holds marks them on our hearts. And it's no longer don't, do, do, can't do this, don't do that, don't do that, do this, don't do that. It's a case of I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that, but I want to do this and I want to do that. Someone say amen. He changes the nature of man. You must be born again, he said to the religious zealot, who obeyed all the commandments as far as he thought he could. He said, you need a heart transplant. That's a miracle. And that only happens through faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our Master, and our King. He writes him on our heart. He changes our lives. And yes, as we go through this day-to-day, -day, well, I've been walking with Jesus for 36 years. And I still fall short. But the Bible says he's faithful and just. If I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And to purify me. And to wash me. And to strengthen me. And to purify my heart. Somebody say amen. It's better promises. 
These are eternal promises, but it's only found in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then when we go to number six here, Hebrews chapter nine says this, verse 23, I'm reading here. I'm going through them quickly because I know it's late and we're all tired. It was necessary then for the copy of heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things with better sacrifices than these for Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself to appear in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again and again the way the high priest offers, enters the most holy place every year with the blood that's not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as a man's destined to die after that, the judgment, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. He is a better sacrifice. He is a better sacrifice. In the Old Testament, blood of bulls and goats and lambs, the blood was offered, but they could not take away sin. All they could do was cover it I've probably shown this picture before, but it's like a table. If you can imagine a table that gets scarred or marred, but still useful, you can still use it. In order to use it so no one can steer how marred and scarred it is, you put a tablecloth over the top of it. The trouble is, is that when people come and, oh, what a lovely table, oh, it's very nice. As you're sitting there around a the table, you know it might look nice on the outside, but actually underneath it's all marred and scarred and in a mess. That's what the atonement of these bulls and sheep and all of that did it just covered it but when Jesus came when Jesus came he said off of that stupid covering let's make everything new and he cleanses it now somebody once said religion white washes Jesus washes white he washes white he goes down underneath the cover and he cleanses us. Jesus was announced. You remember his cousin on the banks of the Jordan River? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Doesn't cover, takes them away. Takes them away. Forgiveness through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Passover in the temple. And we know, we know, we know. How many times have you heard that at the time when they, they'd put him on trial and they'd scourged him and whipped him and then had him cull through the streets of, of the Villa de Rosa and they're taking him up to Mount Calvary at the very exact same time in the temple they were sacrificing the Passover lamb. And they missed it. Here he was in their midst, the Son of God, offering himself for the sins of the people, past, present, and future, Jew, Gentile. And they missed it. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he is a greater sacrifice, the greater sacrifice. And the way is now open, the temple tore in two from top to bottom, saying God was ripping it open, not man, but God. Now it's free for you and me to enter, not just the holy place, not just the most holy place, but right into the very presence of God. Every morning when you wake up before you go to work, he's there with you and you're there with him and you can commune with the almighty creator of the universe. 
with a clean and pure heart through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's a better sacrifice. Isn't that amazing? He is better than the best. He is the best, the absolute best. In the Old Testament, when the priest went to lay hands on the man who was a leper, do you know what happened? He became unclean. But in the New Testament, when Jesus, the most high priest of our confession, when he lay hands on the lepers and the unclean, the unclean became clean. Amen. Because he is a greater sacrifice. And I'm almost done. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16. God is not ashamed, it says here. Instead, it's talking about, we have a whole list of all the men of faith. It's the, you know, the great um, gallery of, of the faith men. So we have a list of them all, Abraham and Moses and all these guys. And then he says, instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed to, call their, to be called their God, for he had prepared a city for them. And then in verse 40, if you jump ahead, it says this, God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. In Jesus, we have a better future. We have a better future. We have a list of all these faithful men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joseph, all the faithful martyrs. They were willing to give up everything, even their own lives. Why? Because they knew there was a greater future. They were looking to a heavenly country, one built not by men, but by God. And you may be hearing the story of a, a couple who were coming back from being, their whole lives, they were in, in their, 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 their elderly years, and uh, I won't say what they are, but people here, yeah, they were in their hundreds, they were at least 120 years old, and I'm only kidding. They were in their elderly years, and they were coming home from a life of service of being missionaries in Africa. But they were coming home on a ship, and they were sharing the journey back with some, uh, I think it was the American Olympic team or some of the great teams there. And as they were coming into the port in New York, they were waiting, expecting that some of their family and friends and church and supporters would be there on the docks to greet them. And when they came to the, the gangplank to go down, there were all these people, masses and crowds all waving. They thought, oh my goodness, this looks amazing. But as the Olympic team went past them, all the crowd went and everybody followed them off until nobody was left on the quayside. The old lady and the old gentleman took all their possessions that they had gathered, just a couple of suitcases, 50 years of missionary service. And they're walking down the plank, and the old man's face was down. And his wife noticed and said, what's wrong with you, darling? What's up with you? She said, I thought that when I came home, there would be people waiting to celebrate the things that God had done in us and through us. And she said, my dear husband, we're not home yet. <laughs> we're not home yet. You're not home yet. I'm not home yet. And we still have that opportunity to live for Jesus. And I say to you this, night, this evening, as I say to myself, don't waste another moment. Live it sold out for Jesus. Why? Because he is the guarantee of a better future. A better future. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus, a better future. And I finish with the last one. Thank you for your patience. 
In Hebrews chapter 12, we read this. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirit of the righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And what is that word? I'll tell you what that word is. It's forgiveness. It's forgiveness for you and forgiveness for me. Cain's blood cried out, or should I say Abel's blood cried out for vengeance. What does Jesus' blood Why does it speak a better word? Jesus revealed this himself on the cross when he cried out, Father God, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Abel's blood cries out for vengeance. Jesus' blood cries out for mercy. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We all together have been like sheep gone astray. The Lord has laid on him, the iniquity of us all. Corrie ten Boom said this, there is no pit so deep that Jesus' love is not deeper still. We all need to be saved. We all need forgiveness. And the Bible offers it alone in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I want to read this final story, true story. <coughs> It was in a courtroom trial after the whole thing of South Africa. And South Africa was freed from apartheid and everything else. This is a true story. And this illustrates the mercy and forgiveness that Jesus offers. And then I'm going to close by asking our brother to just share a video, just for us to watch a video for five minutes to encourage us and strengthen us as we go home for what's ahead this week and month and years ahead. The scene is a recent courtroom trial in South Africa. A frail black woman rises slowly to her feet. She's something over 70 years of age. Facing across the room are several white security officers, one of whom, Mr. Van de Broek, has been tried and found implicated in the murders of both the woman's son and her husband some years before. He had come to the woman's home, taken her son, shot him at point-blank range, and then set the young man's body on fire while he and his officers partied nearby. Several years later, Van de Broek and his cohorts had returned to take away her husband as well. For many months, she heard nothing of his whereabouts. Then almost two years after her husband's disappearance, Van de Broek came back to fetch the woman herself. How vividly she remembers that evening going to the place beside the river where she was shown her husband bound and beaten but still strong in spirit lying on a pile of wood. The last words she heard from his lips as the officers poured gasoline over his body and set him on fire where Father forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Now the woman stands in the courtroom and she listens to the confessions offered by Mr. Vanderbroek, a member of the South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Committee, turns to her and asks, so what do you want me to do? How should justice be done to this man who has so brutally destroyed your family? I want three things, begins the old woman calmly, but confidently. First, I want 
to be taken to the place where my husband's body was burned so that I can gather up the dust and give his remains a decent burial. She pauses and then continues. My husband and my son were my only family. So secondly, therefore, I want Mr. Vanderbrot to become my son. I would like for him to come twice a month to the ghetto and spend a day with me so that can I can pour out on him whatever love I still have remaining in me. And finally, she says, I want a third thing. This is also the wish of my husband. And so I would kindly ask someone to come to my side and lead me across to the courtroom so that I can take Mr. Vanderbrook in my arms and embrace him and let him know that he is truly forgiven. As the court assistants come to lead the elderly woman across the room, Mr. Vanderbrook, overwhelmed by what he has just heard, faints. As he does, those in the courtroom, family, friends, neighbors, all victims of de decades of oppression and injustice begin to softly sing, but assuredly, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. Jesus speaks a better word than Abel. A word of forgiveness and mercy. So Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. He has a better covenant. He has better ministry. He has better promises. He's a better sacrifice. There is a better future. And he speaks a better word. Why? Because Jesus is better than the best. Can we show the video? And I finish now. Thank you, Lord. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of 
Jesus is better than the best. He is better than the best. And he's your king. And he's my king. And he's our king. And we want him to be their king. So let's serve him with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength for his glory and for his honor and for his praise. Keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't give up. You shall receive a harvest if you do not give up. Up. We are going to see revival in this land if we don't give up. Why? Because he is our king. Amen. Father, we thank you tonight. Lord, even this very brief, I know I've gone over my time, but even this very brief study, we've seen how Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our Master, our King, is better than the best. He's greater than the greatest. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And Lord, your word says that we don't love you, but you because we don't love you because we first loved you, but you first loved and you gave your Son as an atoning sacrifice. We only love you because you gave us the ability to love you. Lord, without you, we can do nothing. We can't worship you. We can't be forgiven. We can't do what we do. We can't live the way we live. We need you now more than ever before. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters as I pray for myself that as we leave this place, Lord, that you would ignite our hearts, that you would remind us of just how awesome you are, how you'll never leave us, never forsake us, never give up on us, and help us, Lord, never to leave you, never to forsake you, and never to give up on you, Lord, that your glory, your honor, your praise might be seen and known once again in this land. Lord, that Scotland once again shall be known as a land of the book and a godly land for your glory, your honor, and your praise. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you so much for your patience tonight. And I bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I look forward to next time, hopefully, when I'm with you again.